Okay, let's take your Bibles now. Turn to Isaiah 45, if you would please. Let's stand in honor of God's word here tonight. Isaiah 45. And I'm privileged to get to preach to you the gospel tonight. And I'm using a verse or set of verses out of Isaiah 45, about in the middle part of your Bible. If you're relatively new to where Isaiah is, just go to the middle of the Bible, maybe a little bit to the right, uh, perhaps. But um, anyways, Isaiah 45 is a verse in particular that came to uh, my attention as I was studying for Vacation Bible School. And all week long, we have emphasized that God created the heavens and the earth, and He created you, and He created me, and created all people. And so we're going to see that even tonight. So we'll just read a few verses here. Look at verse number 12. Okay, if you found your place in Isaiah 45. Now, um, I've got two goals tonight. Number one is to preach the gospel. That is number one goal. Number two is be relatively brief. You say there's a lot of emphasis on that relatively, relatively, right? Brief. I want to preach, but, uh, and, and that's the main part of our service anytime, anytime we gather. God's word is paramount here. And, but we also, we have the program that's going on, video and some other things related to Bible school. I'm looking forward to that. Brother Ted's already full out vacation Bible school mode. Did you see that a moment ago? And so we're, we're ready to go with that. But I want to preach a little bit here about your creator who wants to be your savior. Look at verse number 12. God says, I have made the earth and created man upon it. Isn't that awesome? I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands have stretched out the heavens and all their host have I commanded. Drop down to verse number 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens God himself that formed the earth and made, uh, made, that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Verse 22 for the sake of time. Now, uh, this is a powerful chapter and I'll try to summarize why he's saying these things, but look at verse number 22. Look unto me and be ye, what? Saved. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God. Look at this. He says it again. And there is none else. Amen. Your creator wants to be your savior. Your creator wants to be your savior. And since there's only one God, there's only one savior. You need him. I want to preach on that here tonight. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Let's get right to it here this evening. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world, what? Stand in awe of him. We've been emphasizing uh, this year, our theme is, is just that, stand in awe of him, stand in awe of our creator, and, and really stand in, stand in awe of what he created. You know, the Bible says that the heavens declare the handiwork of God. It's, it shows just how amazing that God is, and I, I absolutely love uh, being outdoors and seeing God's creation, and, and it's astounding, you know, even as we've studied this week and preaching some on creation 
I went on to Answers in Genesis, great resource for a lot of just creation facts. There's other, others uh, that are out there as well. But uh, anyways, uh, I was reminded that in our galaxy alone, there are over 100, listen to this, over 100 billion stars. In our galaxy, in our galaxy alone, now, our solar system is, is amazing, just our solar system, the sun and, and uh, all the planets and the moon. And in fact, the moon is uh, 240,000 miles away. How do you know that? Well, that's what they tell me. I've never been there, but I'm just simply saying that's a long way away just from the earth to the moon. And then the sun and and but our galaxy, our, I'm sorry, our solar system, as as one one indicated, that our solar system, as vast as it, as it is, in comparison to our galaxy, in fact, uh, answers in Genesis indicated this, that the closest, plant, the closest star to us outside of our solar system is 25 trillion miles away. Hello, is this on? <laughs> How big is God to create such a, a vast universe. And in fact, one individual trying to give perspective, how in the world do you begin to wrap your brain around this, right? But our solar system compared to our galaxy would be like a quarter in the size of North America. <laughs> I'm letting that soak in here just a minute. Stand in awe of him. Well, how long did it take him to make all that? Six 24-hour days. That were spread out by thousands of years? Nope. One right after the other. Because he spoke and the worlds came into existence. You are not the product, dear friend, of an evolutionary process. You didn't come from apes. You didn't come from monkeys. No, God spoke the world into existence. He formed the earth at first and it was covered with water. In fact, scientists can't explain how the earth has so much water to it. But the Bible explains it. And we'll just take the Bible's word for it because God spoke and the world was created. He created the light and, and then he created, uh, he created all the, the, uh, the firmament that's above the sky and the space and the waters that are below. And then he created the earth, the dry land and, and the vegetation that's upon the dry land. And then on day four, he created the sun, the moon and the stars and the planets, the galaxies that were there. And then on day five, he, he put the birds in the air and the fish in the sea. And on day six, he filled the earth with the animals that roam still yet upon the earth. And then he put his crowning creation upon the earth, man. He created this earth to be inhabited. Now, wait a minute, just a, just a second here. If he created all of this, all that we see, that the earth might be inhabited, that means this, you've got purpose in this life. Amen. He's got a reason for doing all that. He didn't just do all that just to do all that. He did that because he wanted to create you, dear friend. He wanted to create you and I, and he wanted to have fellowship with us. So if he went to all that trouble, dear friend, don't you know if he went to all that trouble to create, which by the way, for God was no trouble, just crossed my mind. Don't you wish on this, we renovated the auditorium about in 2017. Don't you wish we could have just spoken it would have been done? 
Let the new pews be in here. Let the new carpet be in here and let the new platform be built. Let the new pulpit be built. No, it took a year and a half of us being out there in the gym. I'm, I'm telling you, friend, but listen, we did all this. We did this renovation so that we could get back in here. So that we could be here. Well, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the earth that we might live upon it because he loves you and wants to fellowship with you. Isaiah 45 is, is among many of these in Isaiah that is pointing out the fact that God is a creator. And the reason that he's doing this, dear friend, is because they were looking at their circumstances. They were looking at who they were and what was going on in their life. And they couldn't see how God was going to do what he was going to do. You see, uh, Israel is, is the nation that God chose to bring salvation to the earth through the Messiah, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was uh, the people of Israel were from Abraham and, and yet they sinned against God and God sent the northern kingdom into Assyrian captivity and the southern kingdom of Judah. He's going to send them into Babylonian captivity and they're going to be in captivity for 70 years. But here's what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, like he said through other prophets, I'm going to bring you back to the land. Now, they're going to look at their circumstances. And they're going to wonder how in the world God is going to do that. I wonder if you've ever had some circumstances where you've wondered how God's going to do something. And so God is here speaking to his, his people, Israel. And in chapters 1 through 39, he's showing just how sinful that Israel is because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They sinned against God. Chapters 40 through 66 is about God's salvation and how that God would bring them back to the land. In fact, in Isaiah 45, you look in verse number one, he says, he calls by name a man named Cyrus. Cyrus. Cyrus was the first king of Persia. Isaiah, listen very closely right here. Isaiah is, is writing this down from God over 150 years before Cyrus is ever born. And he calls Cyrus by name. Well, the Bible tells us that he calls the stars by name, a hundred billion of them. How does he know all those stars by name? Hey, listen, friend, he knows your name. You ever get here to church and you forget somebody's name and it's, you're, you're going into brother mode? <laughs> hey, brother, <laughs> right? In other words, I forgot your name, but good to see you, right? Hey, listen, God knows your name. And God calls Cyrus ahead of time. The great statesman, uh, Winston Churchill, he said, to be a good politician, you've got to be able to predict what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen next week, what's going to happen a month from now, what's going to happen a year from now. And to be a real good politician, you've got to be able to explain after that doesn't happen why it didn't happen. But God has never had to explain why what he prophesied didn't happen. Because listen, friend, everything that God said will happen. Things that have happened that God said would happen, they took place because you can count on what God has said. And what will happen will happen because God is trustworthy. And he says, I call by name Cyrus. And the Jews would have a hard time that God's going to use this pagan man. And God even says, he doesn't even know me, but I know him and I'm going to use him to bring my people back. It seemed, it seemed uh, far-fetched to them that God would do that. And they were striving with their maker. They didn't like what God was doing there, but God is saying to them, listen, if you don't think that I can do this, just look at my creation and see what I can do. Israel had sinned against God. You and I have sinned against God. And, and here we are living on God's earth and yet sin corrupted our lives. One of my uh, favorite 
illustrations on this uh, is by a preacher. And he said many years ago in our early in our marriage, he said, my wife and I, we sold our Volkswagen to buy a couch. <laughs> that must be pretty bad right there, right? Sold his, uh, his Volkswagen Beetle to buy a new piece of furniture. And it was a sofa. It was a pink sofa. But for that kind of money, he said it ought to be called a mauve, a mauve sofa, a nice sofa. The man at the store told us all about it and how to take care of it. And we took it home. He said we had very small children in those days. And so guess what rule number one was? Don't sit on the mauve sofa. Don't play near the mauve sofa. Don't eat near the mauve sofa. Don't touch the mauve sofa. Don't breathe on the mauve sofa. Don't think about the mauve sofa. On every other chair thou mayest sit freely, but on this sofa thou shalt not sit for on the day that thou sittest thereon, thou shalt surely die. <laughs> he says, and then came the day of the fall. <laughs> there appeared on the sofa a stain, a red stain, a red jelly stain. My wife called the man at the sofa factory, he said, and, and he told her how bad that that was. So she assembled our three children to look at the stain on the sofa. Laura, age four, Mallory, two and a half, and Johnny, six months. <laughs> she said, children, do you see that stain? That's a stain. That's a red stain. That's a red jelly stain. And the man at the sofa store said, it's not coming out for all eternity. Do you know how long eternity is, children? Eternity is how long we're going to sit here until I find out who stained the mauve sofa. For a long time, they just sat there, he said, until finally Mallory, the two-year-old, cracked. And, and he said, I knew that she would. And she said, Laura did it. <laughs> Laura said, I did not. <laughs> he said, I knew none of them would confess to putting the stain on the sofa because none of them had ever seen mom that mad before. I knew none of them was gonna confess because they would spend all eternity in the timeout chair. I knew none of them was not, they were not going to confess because in fact, it was I <laughs> who stained the red, the mob sofa and I'm not saying a word. <laughs> well, the truth being, we've all stained the sofa. The Bible plainly says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Have you ever broken one of God's commandments? You ever told a lie? You ever taken God's name in vain? Have you ever shown disrespect to your parents? By the way, today's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all the dads, but maybe you'd have to confess and say, yeah, I've, I've shown disrespect to my parents. Have you ever had anger in your heart? Have you committed sexual sin or had lust towards someone? Have you stolen anything? Have you wanted something that somebody else had and coveting for it? Those are God's commandments. Now, let's be honest here tonight. Every single one of us have broken those commandments. And the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death, separation from God. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth, uh, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, or with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, listen to this, shall be saved. You say, preacher, the stain in my life, the sin in my life is too great. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's go back to the text here. Look, he created the heavens and the earth. If he can create the heavens and the earth in six literal days, then listen, he can take care of you and deal with what is your sin. And on the cross of Calvary, listen, your creator died in your place. That you might be saved. Look at verse number 22 again. He says, look unto me and be ye saved. Look unto me. Look unto me. Hey, hey, tonight, listen. You can't look unto a church and be saved. You can't look to yourself and be saved. You can't look to a priest and be saved. You can't look to good works and be saved. And in Isaiah's day, they certainly couldn't look to those. The context of it deals with those that were in idolatry. They couldn't look to those gods made of wood to be saved. Those, those gods couldn't save them. But their creator said, look unto me and be ye saved. Actually, it was this particular text that Charles Spurgeon heard preached. He was a 15-year-old boy. Charles Spurgeon was a, a well-known uh, Baptist preacher and, and uh in back in, a, in, in the late 1800s and such. And, and he was 15 years old though and on his way to his church, but a blizzard stopped him. And so he went to a, a different church and there the minister didn't make it, but a, a man, a shoemaker was there preaching. And he picked this particular text, look unto me and be ye saved all ye ends of the earth. And he preached this text and he said that he stayed pretty close to his text because he had nothing else to say. But here's what he said by Spurgeon's testimony. He says, look, that doesn't take a great deal of effort. That doesn't take uh, lifting even a finger. You don't have to go to college to look. Anybody can look. You don't have to have a lot of money to look. And then he said this, even a child can look. Look unto me, don't look to yourselves, he says. Look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I was, I was crucified and I was buried, but look unto me, I rose again. <laughs> look unto me, I ascended up to heaven. I'm sitting at the right hands of the Father. Look unto me and be saved. He said at that point, a preacher looked in the back and under the gallery he saw Charles Spurgeon and he said, young man, you look very miserable. He says, well, I did. He said, I'm not accustomed to having remarks made about my personal appearance from the pulpit. He said, I knew the preacher had to be talking about me because I was the only stranger that was there. He said, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text tonight. Then he shouted, shouted young man, look to Jesus and be saved. And with that, Charles Spurgeon looked to Jesus asked him to be a savior and was saved. I say the same to you tonight. You can't save yourself, but listen, you need to be saved. You need to trust him as your savior. Children need to trust him as their savior. Young person, you need to trust him as your savior. Adults here tonight, moms, dad, dads, listen, 
You don't have to become a member of a church. Baptism won't save you. Any, nothing else will save you. Here's what you need to do. Do what the text says. Look unto me. Look to Jesus and be saved. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. It's as simple as that. Would you bow your head with me here tonight and close your eyes and, and just have a moment of reflection. And let, let me ask each and every one here tonight this question. Well, I think we all know that we've sinned. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, separation from God. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through trusting Jesus as your Savior. With that very head bowed and eye closed tonight, how many of you, allowing me to look around here, just between you and the Lord and allowing me to look on, how many of you could raise your hand and say, Preacher, I know for sure that if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven because I looked to Him, I looked to Jesus for salvation. I called on Him to be my Savior, and He saved me. Would you raise your hand to that tonight? Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for that. You may put your hand down. Now I wonder tonight, is there someone here, a dad, a mom, a young person, a child, that would raise their hand and say, would you pray for me because I know I'm a sinner. But you said that you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, but I, I don't know that. But I am concerned about it. I'm not saved, preacher. Would you, would you pray for me? Would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to... I'm not going to point you out or come to you or ask anybody even to come your way. But if you die tonight and you don't know 100% for sure that you're going to heaven, would you just raise your hand here just a moment while I look around? Anybody like that? If I die tonight, I don't know for sure. Thank you. I see, I see that hand. I'm, not, I'm looking around trying to see wherever there may be some indicating that. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. I appreciate that. Yes, I see yours as well. Jesus loves you. He died in your place. He, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look to him and be saved. It's the only, the only way that you can be saved. Would you trust him even tonight? We're going to have an invitation and invite you to come and let somebody take a Bible and show you from God's word how that you can be forgiven of your sin and assured a home in heaven. I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand. Father, I thank you for the opportunity tonight to preach the good news that not only are you our creator, but, and, and we've sinned against you, but also that God, you desire to be our savior. And you say, look unto you and be saved. And I know that Lord, that means to trust you personally. So I pray for those that raise their hands indicating that they needed salvation. Would you help them tonight to do so? In Jesus' name, amen.